greatest traitors started his career as one of America's best soldiers. You know who he is, right? The most famous traitor in American history in the Revolutionary War. His name is Benedict Arnold, a name that is synonymous with betrayal itself. He was a pharmacist at the time when the Revolutionary War began, and he had a side business running trade with three family-owned ships in the West Indies. And when Great Britain started the Sugar Act, which of course affected business, he was motivated to start fighting against the enemy that was making their lives miserable. It wasn't long before Benedict Arnold became one of the colony's rising stars, getting promotion after promotion after promotion, and he rose the ranks all the way to major general. He was in charge of the West Point military base. But as often happens in our career, he got a little frustrated with his employer, which it's a really a double whammy if your employer is the government, because he started to see some of the flaws in how the U.S. was handling the conflict. They, were, they weren't sending them enough supplies. They were notoriously under-equipped in the Revolutionary War. And then he also became frustrated because he had gotten passed up from some promotions. And so at some point, it entered the mind of Benedict Arnold to instead of helping out his nation to betray it. And through the use of coded letters that were sometimes written in invisible ink, Benedict Arnold came to terms with the British to surrender the West Point military base for the price of the modern equivalent of a million dollars, which is far too little money in my mind to face certain death if you're caught. Of course, you know the story. The U.S. caught him because they caught the guy who he was corresponding with. They found the letters clear as day. He was indicted for his crimes. And what's interesting is that if you go to West Point today in the old cadet chapel, there's a display of all of the generals that fought in the Revolutionary War. There's plaques with their names on them. And in the corner, there's a plaque with the name scratched out. And that's the plaque that had Benedict Arnold's name on it. Betrayal is the highest form of crime in the U.S. military. And it's no surprise to us that that's the case, right? I mean, if you betray your nation, that's kind of a double crime because not only are you helping the enemy, but you're turning your back on the nation that called you and equipped you and, and, and promoted you to a place of trust. But in our text tonight, in Psalm 54, we find another war hero facing his own betrayal. The top of your Bible, probably in Psalm 54, has a little bit of a description of the circumstances in which Psalm 54 was written. It's kind of coming out of 1 Samuel 23. David, much of his young life is spent on the run from Saul. Much of the Psalms are written while he's running from Saul. And some of his men tell him that he needs to go to Keilah and go there because that's the place that he'll be safe from the Philistines. 
or sorry, he goes to Keilah because it's under attack from the Philistines. So here's David, he's running from his boss, but yet he's also acting as a savior, going to this distressed part of the nation, saving them from the attack of their enemies. So he saves Keilah from the attack of the Philistines. And how do the people Keilah thank David? Well, by ratting him out to Saul, who wants to kill him. That's a good day. No good deed goes unpunished, as they say. And so David's on the run again, and so then he decides to go to the wilderness of Ziph. You see that in the title of your psalm. It's a thick, wooded area. And you have to understand that Ziph was from the tribe of Judah. In Joshua 15, I believe, his name is found there. And so this area was the tribe of Judah. That's David's tribe. He's not just in a wilderness He's in his family's backyard, so to speak. And he encounters the Ziphites, his family, distant family. But the very place that should have been a place of safety for David was a place where he was betrayed once again. Because his family, the Ziphites, rat him out again to Saul. And David comes much closer to death than even he was in Keilah. And for all David knew in the psalm that we're going to read together tonight, he was about to die. Saul saw him as a betrayer. And here he is betrayed by people who should have kept him safe. And there's all sorts of rumors going around about how bad of a person he is. But he knew better. He knew his character before God. And so in the rawest way possible, David records his prayer to God in Psalm 54. But I think we all understand this tonight, that betrayal is not just something that happened to David. We know what it's like for people we trust people we care about, to hurt us unprovoked. We know what it's like to have wounds from family that God put in a position to take care of us. We know what it's like for a spouse, maybe, who's supposed to be a source of safety that becomes a source of betrayal. We know what it's like for someone we loved and invested in and poured ourselves into and then down the road, we find out that they used us. We minister to someone, and they twist the story and make it sound like we were terrible people. So when that sort of thing happens, how do we respond? When someone hurts you, when someone's talking falsely about you, how do you respond to that? Well, this psalm teaches us how to pray through our betrayal. And tonight, I want to just walk you through the psalm. And I want you to get a template for what to do when things aren't going how they should go. Let's read Psalm 54 together tonight. Save me, O God, by thy name. 
and judge me by thy strength. Hear my prayer, O God, give ear to the words of my mouth, for strangers are risen up against me. An oppressor seek after my soul. They have not set God before them. Selah. Behold, God is mine helper. The Lord is with them that uphold my soul. He shall reward evil unto mine enemies. Cut them off in thy truth. I will freely sacrifice unto thee. I will praise thy name, O Lord, for it is good. For he hath delivered me out of all trouble. In mine eye hath seen his desire upon mine enemies. Here's how the psalm breaks down tonight. Number one, David is going to show us to bring our situation before God. But then I want you to see that not only do we bring our situation before God, we bring God before our situation. We bring our situation before God, we bring God before our situation, and then we end by bringing our praise before God. Notice in verses one through three that David brings his situation before God. I've talked about this before, but it's worth repeating. That when David prays to God, he's not using fancy words. He gets to the point. He says, save me, O God. There's no preamble. There's no dear heavenly father. He just says, save me, God. Save me by thy name. Judge me by thy strength. The situation was urgent, so David didn't need to mince words about it. He's crying out for God's help. I wanna help you, Christian, tonight, that sometimes you might feel like that all you can do when you pray is just cry for help. You realize that's okay? It's okay if some days you don't feel like you have much to be thankful for if you turn and you cry out for help. If you see God as the source of your strength, our prayers may not check every box the Bible wants them to some days, and that's okay. And you may not even have the words to say your prayers. Use all the words you've got, and when you don't have the words to say it, you have the Holy Spirit to articulate it. I love what Romans 8 says. It says in verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself also maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. That's not talking about a heavenly prayer language. That's saying that when you don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit of God prays for you. When you don't have the words to say, the Spirit knows what words to say to the heavenly father for you. And so we just bring our situation before God. I'm afraid some of us, we bring our situation to everybody else but God. Bring it to our friend, we bring it to Facebook, we bring it to our spouse. Those aren't bad things, except for maybe the Facebook one. But friend, none of those people can ultimately help you in most situations. The only one who could truly help is the God that you pray to. Sometimes we don't bring it to anybody. And knowing the people I know in this room, that's probably more likely the case. 
We don't tell a soul. Got struggles in our marriage? It's falling apart? Don't tell a single person. We just wear it. Internalize it. Friend, you can't live like that for long. You can't bottle that up for long. It's a different message about bringing that to somebody, but you ought to bring it to God and cry out to him. You might say, I don't know how to fix my marriage. You don't have to know to pray to God. You just say, God, help me fix my marriage. I don't know how, but I'm gonna cry out to him and I'm gonna ask him to step into my situation. I'm gonna take my situation and bring it before God. God, save me from this. God, help me with my kids. God, deal with this financial struggle that I'm bringing before you. David brings this situation before God. We can't stop there. We can't just bring our stuff to God without remembering the God we're bringing our stuff to. And David does that. Even in his brokenness, even in his prayer, he brings God before his situation. And in verse four through five, he's reflecting on the character of God. Notice how he, he's catching his own attention. Behold, it's like he's waking himself up, smacking himself in the face. God is my helper. You think he felt like God was his helper in that moment? Did he have external evidences that God was his helper in that moment? Now, I said this this morning, but when we think of that idea helper, we, we don't think of it in the most flattering terms. I mean, that's, that's the term that Nora gives herself when she's in the kitchen. She's a helper. And you all know that when a kid is a helper, they ain't much of a helper. You know what I mean? That's not how David's describing God. The idea there is God is a military ally. He's the one who's got your six, as cops like to say. He's the one that, he's reinforcements. And here's what David is saying. He's saying that I'm looking at a guy, Saul, who's got far more resources than me. Come on now. This guy has the kingdom. The kingdom is his. He's got all the horses. He's got all the chariots. He's got a whole lot more bows and arrows. And here's David with a small band of low-budget soldiers traveling through the wilderness. He is vastly outnumbered. But David in this moment remembers that he's not actually outnumbered. Because Saul may have the nation of Israel's army, but even the nation of Israel's army can't match God, who was his military ally. He's bringing God before his situation. He says, behold, God is mine helper. He says, the Lord is with them. Notice that in verse number four, that God's help is not just mysterious and far off. God's help channels through human means. Look at verse four. God is mine helper. The Lord is with them that uphold my soul. You know what David's saying there? He's saying that God, his help, comes with those who are right here on the earth with me, ministering to me. Now, it's interesting to me, if you go to 1 Samuel 23, hold your place there and go to 1 Samuel 23. In the story of 1 Samuel 23, which, which under inspiration of God, it says right there at the top that this is exactly when all this is recorded. This whole wilderness is Ziph situation. 
that in 1 Samuel 23, verses 15 through 18, we see a real demonstration of how the Lord was with those who upheld David's soul. And so what we see here is that David is comforted by Jonathan. Look at verse number 15. It says, And David saw that Saul was come out to seek his life. And David was in the wilderness as if in a wood. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David into the wood. I love the next phrase. And strengthened his hand in God. Strengthened his hand in God. And he said unto him, Fear not, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find thee. And thou shalt be king over Israel. He's reminding him of God's promise and he's believing God's promise will come true even when David didn't believe it. You'll be king. And then he says this, And I shall be next unto thee. And that also Saul my father Noah, if you can understand the significance of this moment, Jonathan deserved to be next in line. Jonathan's the guy who should have got the throne. And this is a good example for us, Christian. When other people get the things that you wish they had, we ought to support and celebrate, not be resentful. But here's Jonathan, he's reaching out to David in verse number 18. They, they too made a covenant before the Lord. You know what's interesting to me about that? That when that is going on, David writes Psalm 54 and he says, the Lord is with them that uphold my soul. Friends, sometimes the prayers that you're praying for God to save you, for God to help you, for God to comfort you, they don't come in mysterious God-sized raindrops from the sky. They come from living, breathing, and even imperfect mortal souls. Friend, don't pray for God to help you and resist the human means of help God has given you. That's a hypocritical prayer. God, I wish you'd help my marriage. I'm not going to tell a single soul I'm struggling, though. <laughs> God, could you deal with my financial situation? But I'm not going to get any help. Are you with me, friend? And here's another thing we can celebrate, that when somebody comes into your life and somebody helps you and somebody ministers to you, that's not somebody helping you. That's God helping somebody help you. When somebody blesses you, when somebody ministers to you, recognize that person is an emissary from God himself. When you start recognizing that it's not just the unexplainable things that are the hand of God, but it's the, even the explainable things. It's the kindnesses of a neighbor that are evidences of God's goodness, you'll start to see his fingerprints in so many more places. And I think it ought to be said in a church context that I hope more of us want to be like a Jonathan. You, you recognize who initiated that contact? Did David put out an SOS or did Jonathan come and find him because he knew he was in trouble? It says Jonathan went to him. Now, I believe very firmly that if you're struggling, you ought to call for help, too. But sometimes, church family, we ought to be on the lookout for struggling sheep. But some of us, we're in our bubble. 
We're being our Jonathan too. Are the only David on, on planet Earth in our mind. But there's a whole lot of Davids running around this place that need some Jonathans. And I don't know about you, but I've never minded a diversification of help. I've never minded it when some random person came and blessed me and not my best friend. I've never turned down somebody who wanted to be a blessing to me who maybe wasn't my best friend. In fact, I don't know about you, sometimes it's those moments of ministry that mean more. Because I expect them to stand up for me. I expect them to help me. But I don't always expect that person who's across the room to do it. The Lord is with them that uphold my soul. He says, this is the character of God. God's character, in verse number five, is that he will deal justly with my enemies. Look at verse five. It's a, it's a counter to the last part of verse number four. God will be with them that uphold my soul. On the contrary, he will reward evil unto my enemies. And then he prays what's called an imprecatory prayer. He says, God, cut them off in thy truth. What's troubling David in this situation is that it seemed like evil was winning. If, if CNN was around, God help us that it wasn't back then. David would have been all over the headlines. He would have been smeared by every major news network. His face would have been in the papers. He would have been canceled five times by now. And yet David knows at the end of the day that his soul was right before God. He knows he could have killed Saul, but he didn't. He knows he was Saul's minister and that he wasn't trying to take his spot, that it was the Lord that anointed him king, not himself. And so here he is in this moment, knowing his own integrity, knowing that he'd done the right thing, and yet it felt like he was about to be punished, but he's bringing God before his situation. He's reminding himself that God is the type of God that deals justly with his enemies. And I think sometimes in difficult moments, Christian, you and I need to remind ourselves of that. We need to revisit the character of God. We need to remember that God is the type of God that never lets evil go unpunished. Ever. Even when he uses evil as an instrument of his discipline, he doesn't let it go unpunished. This is a major message of the Bible. A major message of the Old Testament. A major message of the New Testament. I just got done reading through Exodus. And what is Exodus? It's the story of people opposing God's people. Egypt. How did that work out? Well, they got away from it for 400 years. Oh, but they got their just desserts, didn't they? There's a whole book of the Bible dedicated to this principle that God deals justly with his enemies. You might be more familiar with it for its weird symbols and its tribulation timelines, but at the end of the day, the book of Revelation is just one big, long love letter from God saying, I will deal with evil. I will deal with it. It may not be on your timeline. It may not be when you'd hope. But God will always deal with evil. Christian, tonight, if, if there's evil that's coming against you, God will deal with it. I've reminded myself often of 
even what, what Paul says to Timothy in the pastoral epistles, a, a, a New Testament church example of this is here's Timothy, he's in the church at Ephesus, and there's these false teachers rising up that are smearing Timothy's character. They're preaching a false gospel. And you know what Paul says? Preach the word, live out the gospel. You know what he's saying? Live a righteous life and God will sort it out. You got people saying false stuff about you, Christian? Live a righteous life and let God sort it out. Because God does. Because as David said, he will reward evil to his enemies. David brings his situation before God. He brings God before his situation. So when you're facing treachery, when you're facing betrayal, when you're facing hurt, when you're facing unfair accusations, bring those things to God. But as you're in God's presence, remember who he is. Remember who he is. But the last part of David's prayer is really interesting. Because David's prayer turns to praise. Look at verse six. He says, I will freely sacrifice unto thee. Man, God times this up so good. Y'all, trust me, my, my thinking ahead is not this good. We taught on sacrifice in Sunday school. Here it is, Psalm 54. I'm not smart enough to make this up. He says, I will freely sacrifice. And the, the term that's behind that word sacrifice is a burnt offering. Remember how we talked about burnt offerings in Sunday school? What's a burnt offering? It's when you give it all to God. All of it's consumed on the altar. Whoa, 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 hold up. I thought we throw the party when, when cancer's cured. I thought we throw the party when we get the raise. I thought we'd go out to dinner when things turn around. But David, his situation hadn't changed. His situation hadn't changed. His circumstances hadn't changed. His perspective changed. And listen, friend, you don't need a good circumstance to praise God. You just need a right perspective. And here David is, as he's bringing God before a situation, he's just welling up in gratitude for God. And he says, here's what I'm going to do. This isn't commanded by God. There's a place in the sacrificial system to just give a free will offering to the Lord, to just come before him because you're just glad that you're his child. And he offers, he says, I'm going to offer you a burnt offering. Now hold on, this isn't the best escape plan. If you're trying to be incognito, the best thing not to do is to build an altar and light a large fire. That's probably not the best way to be incognito when you're on the run from your life. But David says, God, I'm so thankful for who you are. I will freely sacrifice unto you. I will freely sacrifice. I'll give you a burnt offering. You recognize tonight that praise is not just our songs. Praise is our actions. Praise is what we do sometimes. And we talked about that this morning, even in Sunday school, that a sacrifice, yes, Hebrews talks about the sacrifice of our lips giving praise to his name. But Peter talks about spiritual sacrifices and Romans talks about sacrificing our bodies as a living sacrifice. And David says, because of who God is, not because he's changed my stuff, not because he's fixed my problems, I will praise him. 
I will praise him. I will sing through the storm and through the night. We have to ask, what changed David's perspective? What led him to cling to God's promises and sing out to him? It was a result of God's strengthening hand in his life, a friend that reassured him of God's promises, and ultimately resting in the character of God. I've had the privilege for a long time, and I'll get the privilege for as many years as the Lord gives me, to watch saints of God sing through their sorrows. And Christian, I want to say this with the most empathetic heart of a pastor I can possibly do. I understand that sorrow is real and it's heavy. I get it. And I know some of you have gone through stuff I wouldn't dream of going through. But there is a place for us to say, I'm just going to sing. Even when it's not fixed yet. Because the reason for our song is not our circumstances changing. The reason for our joy as a Christian is not that God makes everything better yet. The reason for our song is who God is, and that never changes. Never changes. Who he is is who he was and who he'll always be. And I recognize that it's hard sometimes I, to walk through the doors and jump into praise to God. I get it. I respect that. But I hope that in your life, you can go through a process like David did in this song. You can bring your situation to God. Bring God before your situation. And then bring your praise to God. Recognizing that even if it doesn't turn out how you wish, he is just worthy of it. He's worthy of a burnt offering. And he's worthy of a song. Verse seven, for he had delivered, or sorry, I like verse six. I'll freely sacrifice unto thee. I will praise thy name, O Lord, for it is good. It's God's character. For he had delivered me out of all trouble. In mine eye hath seen his desire upon mine enemies. The best I know, verse seven, is not a reflection on how David's situation turned out, though it did turn out that way. Verse seven is a reflection on God's deliverance before. God had done it before, David says, so I'll praise him. You know, this is good life advice. If you don't have something to be thankful for right now, you probably got something to be thankful for a few minutes ago. <laughs> you don't feel like you've saved out of your trouble now. Boy, you can look back and you've been saved out of few troubles. Somebody say amen to that. I'm not the only one. I'm pretty young. 
and I've been saved out of a lot of troubles. So I'm going to guess if you're double my age, you've got at least two times as many things to praise God for as I do. And here's David, and he says, I'm going to praise God. I will praise thy name. We don't have to wait to praise God until we're happy. Faith doesn't always make us happy immediately. Joy is a little different. Joy is, is a rest even in our difficulty. He says, I'm going to praise him even if it hasn't changed. So in review, what's our prayer? Our Psalm 54 prayer is this. We bring our situation before God. We bring God before our situation. And we bring our praise to God. Now, y'all, we can't preach on prayer without you praying. You're not going to get out that easy. So let's spend some time as Shelby goes in place. Bring your situation to God. Bring God before your situation. Remember his character. Who is God? He is provider. He is merciful. He is good. He is holy. He is just. Remember God. Bring him before your situation. And then bring your praise to God. As Shelby begins to play tonight, why don't we... Why don't we spend some time in prayer? I shall be placed.